installment of Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera. As ever, we're here to provide an opportunity for colleagues from across our firm to come together and discuss hot topics in business and tech in the hope that our experiences and insights are helpful to you, our listeners. Uh, I'm your host for this session. My name is Matthew Greenhalgh. I'm a senior consultant at Credera UK. In today's episode, uh, we're discussing all things leadership. Uh, more specifically, we're going to delve into how we define leadership uh, and then we'll try to explore a bit more the role and significance of leadership within organizations, both internally and externally. Um, for today's episode, I'm once again lucky enough to be joined by uh, a star-studded cast representing leadership from both Credera UK and uh, Credera US. So today I have with me uh, Justin Bell, who's the president and CEO of Credera US. Hi, JB. Hello, Matthew. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Uh, and Christopher Dean, who is the CEO of Credera UK. Hi, Chris. Hi, Matt. Good to be here. Thank you, and welcome to you both. It's a pleasure. I know Chris, you're a, you're a veteran now, having done one before. And JB, you know, welcome to the podcast as well. Um, okay, so as you said, we're talking about leadership today. So I wanted to kick us off, as we often do with these podcasts, uh, in talking about the the definition of what we mean by that. So. It sounds like a very simple question, as it always does, but there's probably a lot more in this, um, and we'll find that as we go. So could I come to you, Justin, just to kick us off on, on what leadership means to you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Matthew. Uh, you know, big, broad topic, as you mentioned, and really looking forward to unpacking it together today. But I think simplest description for me is the responsibility to help a group of people do something important. And there's a lot in that, you know, from uh, really modeling the culture that you expect from that team and, and really helping craft and curate culture over time uh, to defining direction or vision and helping refine that over time to make sure the, the direction that group is headed, that team is headed, is even the right direction. Uh, and then you get into all of the different coaching, mentoring, nudging, holding accountable uh, that's necessary to, to kind of get through the hard parts of any challenge because what we found is is most important things have some challenges along the way, and those challenges are ultimately what make it rewarding and make it interesting and cause growth for the individuals and the teams overall. Uh, but but leadership is really all about how you how you steward that group through those spots, whether you're uh, just a member of the team or the more formal leader of that team. Because I think we'll we'll get into some things later, but really view it as we all have a leadership responsibility. Uh, we certainly think about that here at Cordera, um, and so there's many parts to play as a as part of that team. Yeah, I often think about the, the different elements of the leadership role. Um, there's inspiration. There's making sure people feel that this is fun and worthwhile and uh, an enjoyable thing to do for, the, for perhaps the rest of their lives or a significant chunk of their working life. And, and that shouldn't be underestimated. But there's also the kind of the people side of it. It's the making sure that the people that you lead uh, feel you care, feel you care about them as individuals. Um, and then there's the decision-making process, not necessarily you making all the decisions, but making sure that decisions are made, that there is a way in which we can relatively quickly make decisions that stick, that, that are wise and stand the test of time. And there's a whole load of other things, but those are some of the big, big ones that, that I often think about. Is that on your radar, JB? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned one thing in particular, Chris, around making sure that the people on the team know you care and that they're kind of known and, and, and cared for. Uh, it's something I know you and I, and, and really the rest of a lot of the rest of the leaders and company at Credera have been talking about recently is a phrase we've been using around moments or a word we've been using for moments where 
many of the moments, if we look back on our own careers and lives that have been most influential and most impactful to us, are when we were shown care by someone on one of our teams, sometimes in an interesting or unexpected way. That could be uh, a flowers or a meal delivered in a time when you've had a family tragedy or something or, or an illness or something like that. Uh, it can be a, a simple um, as a pat on the back or in modern times, a virtual pat on the back for someone who you can tell is having a bad day or a bad week. Uh, or it can be the recognition that you've done something good and, and that leaders see that, that you've done something good and they give you that affirmation uh, that, that, that all of us need to get from time to time. And, you know, and, and so I think um, sometimes those are big celebratory moments, but often they're very simple moments. That, but it's simply about the intentional human connection, the very personal touch that shows up that creates a moment or an experience that's what, you know, I think good leaders do that intentionally, not in a scripted way, but just in a thoughtful way over time. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I think that's exactly right, and and I, I know it's a it's a it's a theme that JB and I spoke a lot about before uh, before we came together, before the two organisations of Credera US and Credera UK came together. And another word I'd use is integrity. That um, when you're showing care and you're you're leading in this way uh, and trying to create those moments. They need to be genuine. They need to be heartfelt. And there's there's nothing worse than half doing that, but not really caring, manufacturing a a, a sense of in, uh, personal touch that isn't really personal, that was that was manufactured. And the most meaningful moments are often the ones, as Debbie was saying, that are um, that are off the cuff. That is a thing you genuinely did or your leadership did to you know the people they manage that. Um, that shows you actually genuinely care. This is who you really are, not just what the company does. And I need to do this out of duty. I really like Chris the uh, sort of the addition you've made to integrity to include the the genuineness of it. You know, you're kind of getting into the intent behind your actions beyond simply. I think a lot of times people think of integrity as just you're just not lying. Basically, means you're utilizing integrity. And I think we take that a step further to mean you also have genuine intent, and people know you mean the things you say, you mean the things you do. You're doing them for good reasons, in addition to just, you know, telling the truth, so to speak. If, if we take a practical example of that, 18 months ago, um, what was DMW uh, became Crudera. We, we were acquired by by Crudera, and we'd had 30 years of running a business very successfully. We we're very proud of what we did. We were proud of our people and our culture, and. I and the senior management of of, uh, of what was DMW stood up in front of the firm and said, "Great news! We're we're going to work with and become Credera globally. That's a huge thing. Thirty years, and you've got to convince. And it was during the lockdown. You've got to convince a whole firm that the right idea for them, their career, their happiness, is to do this thing. They've got to trust you completely for that to work." You don't get that kind of trust. You, you can't buy it. Uh, you, you don't get it in a short period of time. You do it by a consistent pattern of behavior that comes with the kind of integrity that we're just talk, talking about, that comes from the heart. That when you say, I genuinely believe this is good for you, people go, yeah, okay, well, it must be then. It must be good for me. Absolutely. Good stuff. I'm glad, by the way, that you got around to trust there. I think we both should have mentioned that in our opener, most likely, because it's such an important part of leadership. Um, you think about establishing trust as you were just describing with the people that follow you, but also the trust amongst leaders, you know, is extremely important and something we've seen 
uh, over the years when we're well connected as a leadership team and we have high trust amongst each other, we can move remarkably fast. And, and back to the point Chris was making earlier around decision making, and you don't have to make all the decisions as the top leader or the leader of a team. You need to make sure decisions are getting made, though, in the right way. And when you have high trust, you can do that in a more distributed manner. You can do that in a more efficient manner. When, when trust is low and when we see that in different organizations, whether it be client or other organizations that we're a part of, when trust is low, it slows everything down. It becomes a, a political, a, uh, you must have five meetings to, before the real meeting to get to a decision. When as a leadership team, we're establishing a high trust environment, you know, it's like a, a really great athletic team, whether it's a football club or a soccer team or a whatever phrase you want to use. You trust the other players on the field to be doing their job the way that they're supposed to be doing it. And you can operate then with better efficiency, better precision, and in a more fun environment, quite frankly. Yeah, and just to build on that, it's an interesting theme, isn't it? Trust, um, how you get it, how, how, you, how you manage to engender trust. And of course, the obvious uh, way of doing it is to do the right thing all the time and make good decisions and, and work with people in an inclusive way. But, but you and I, JB, have talked about vulnerability as well, not to pretend you're perfect, to let people in. And you're, you're a human just like everybody else. You have your strengths and weaknesses. And um, there's this kind of uh, this process whereby you earn trust by, by trusting them with your weakness as well as your strengths. Do you, do you want to expand on that? I think it's an interesting thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, just, to, just to share an example or a story from that. So, um, you know, right at the beginning of 2021, so coming off the, the Christmas and New Year holiday timeframe, um, the last few days before I came back to the office, so to speak, I was having a lot of anxiety. And I, sh I shared when right when we got back with a number of the other career leaders that I was um, having anxiety about coming back to work and specifically feeling what, what I think you would describe as like imposter syndrome of like, man, I, you know, I, I don't belong to be here in the spot that I'm in and it's too much and it's overwhelming at times. And, and really just that I didn't like deserve to be in this seat, so to speak. And it was amazing uh, in the, the aftermath, the, the next couple of weeks afterwards, for one, just simply speaking those words out loud helped to bring my anxiety around that topic down. It was like the boogeyman wasn't so scary once I just let it see the light of day. Uh, but also I, I heard from both you know, immediately and then in the weeks following a number of different uh, other Credera leaders who had been part of that conversation how impactful that was to them because it, you know, I think we all suffer from things like that from time to time. We all experience things like that from time to time. And it helped demystify it a little bit for them, for me to have voiced those words. But it also, uh, to Chris's point, I think it established a very vulnerable, high trust relationship. Uh, we, do, we do some exercises at Credera from time to time where we share uh, what we call life maps in the US of, of, and uh, where we, we take uh, a group of people that you work with and you know reasonably well, but you take them through a much more intimate description of your life to date, uh, really focused on what you might consider like the, the top 2% good and bad that's happened over 30, 40, 50 years, you know, however long you've, you've been on the planet and, um, and do so in an extremely raw and vulnerable way. And it's amazing the amount of trust that those sort of exercises do when everyone leans into them appropriately, you know, and, and they're, they're hard, you know, they can be very emotional. They can be, uh, scary because it's it's not most people don't talk about things like that often even with their spouse or significant other let alone a group of colleagues from work but I think when we do that right in a professional setting 
uh, you build really deep trust, you build really good empathy and understanding for each other. And that then helps when you get back to the more transactional day-to-day things that we have to do so that you don't get bogged down because uh, you, you, you trust them as a human. And once you have that, you can do nearly anything together. If we move on to uh, the business of actually managing people and the line you draw between making decisions and letting decisions be made at the level they need to be made. You know, we've spent a lot of time in the UK recently trying to define what the board does and what their remit is. And the purpose of trying to do that was to try and define why the board should not make all decisions and, and give the, the remainder of the firm space to make their decisions, to decide what their outcome should be, as well as how to make that happen. And in turn, they need to do that to the people who work for them. And we tried to get, get that cascade working so that we were focusing on the things we thought was our remit. And we cascaded responsibility down in a way that was supportive rather than uh, complete devolution and hands off. Is, is that a thing you want to talk about, JB, in, in, in the US perspective? I think it's a great, a great topic, Chris, because if you think about one of the um, biggest challenges I know I personally faced in my uh, growing up through various leadership ranks, so to speak, and, and that I've seen in a lot of other people, it in many ways, you have to adapt your, your style and what you engage with over time. Like in, in some cases, what made you an excellent project manager was detail orientation and in every single decision and keeping track of every meeting and, and never letting anything slip through the cracks. And that works great at, at, for that particular part of a career and for that particular uh, craft area in what we do. Uh, if you were to try to do that same thing, you know, as um, someone who's potentially uh, managing or leading a practice area or managing or leading a particular office or country or even the whole company at large, it just doesn't scale. And what you end up with is, is one of several things. You're either um, disempowering the team that is working on those things every day by you being the bottleneck that tries to still make every decision. And so you're not, in fact, growing other leaders, which honestly is one of the biggest uh, responsibilities of a leader is to recreate other leaders on, on your team and help them grow and emerge and reach their full potential. Uh, or in many cases, or and in some cases, you're making decisions that you don't actually have the most information about at that point. And so, you know, although if you were in all those details, you might be a great decision maker in that particular scenario. But, you know, it's this little sliver of time for you and for someone else, they've spent hours and hours focused and thinking about that particular thing. And so I've just found that you almost can't go wrong. There, there will be bumps, but you almost can't go wrong by trusting the good people on your teams to step up and make those decisions. It, it almost always is good for them and good for their career development. And it almost always allows myself or the leader that I'm talking about here to uh, be able to then level up more and go take on additional things and help to grow and scale. And so it's, a, it's one of those deals that's good for everyone. It's just hard for the control freaks and all of us to let go of some of those things. And so I would, I would encourage all emerging leaders to not be afraid to let go. Your power doesn't come from knowing all the details. Your power comes from uh, building other leaders that can help build and scale and grow and, and do the same thing again and again. Chris, anything you'd respond to there? 
Yeah, I think um, it's a really interesting point. We spent a lot of time talking about this when we were going through this process in the UK. And one of the, there's a fear here that isn't just about losing control. That's one of the fears. And I think it's a really important one. There's one other that I hadn't thought of when we were going through this exercise, which is the fear that, well, what do I do? If all those things I did now, somebody's doing that works for me, I haven't got a job anymore. And of course they do have a job. It's the job they weren't doing because they were too busy micromanaging. It's actually leading and it's creating, you know, the successes and it's thinking about strategy or whatever the next job up is. And there's always a job up. There's always a thing you're not doing because these brilliant people are now beneath you doing some of the things you used to do. You've got headroom. It just takes a while to get your head around that it's because you've been doing the things you're now not going to do all your life up to that point, or you've been building up to it and you thought of it as the pinnacle of your career. And it turns out there's another pinnacle a bit further up. And so there's more to do. And I found that quite an interesting um, insight. It's a very real feeling. I've been there for sure, where you think, you know, what is my job now if I just passed all the important things I thought I was doing before to other people? And to your point, especially in a, uh, a growing organization, like thankfully we are, there's always a new pinnacle. There's always a new a new mountain to climb. There's always a new uh, direction and vision that needs to be cast. Um, and you just you know it, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, that that you can't go engage in some of those things. You just, from my experience at least, take it from a different angle. So you know I will, uh, for instance, on a with a client team where I'm not involved at all from the day to day standpoint, I can almost now put on like my client hat. And I'll, I'll, in fact, just almost pretend to be the client. Like if I were the client CIO or CEO or CMO in that scenario, what questions would I have? And I'm, I'm not in the details at all. So I don't know why the team has come up with the recommendations they have, but I can ask a different view in, in, into those questions. I hope helps the, uh, uh, the team be more and more prepared for those client conversations as they emerge. Uh, there's, there's lots that you've touched on there already, but I think one thing that stood out for me was um, some of the, the people who I've worked with who I would consider the, the best leaders, so people who really um, embody the things you've talked about, you know, uh, empathy, humility, transparency, those things, often don't realize it's something you embody and, and strive to do to help support and grow people. And that's the kind of core embodiment of, of leadership. It's not a top-down piece. It's something that you know, anybody can take on a leadership role to support and grow others hopefully in our nature. Um, I think the, the other piece that rang out as well was around um, the empowerment part of it. Again, it's there's lots of angles to that, but we've talked in previous podcasts around the, um, the, the turn the ship around, the, the David Marquette piece, which is around a submariner captain who turned around the fortunes of a ship by changing it from, uh, sir, can I submerge the boat to, sir, we should submerge the boat because... And that, that change in attitude is a real embodiment of how leadership can make an organization more successful and, and more driven, but it's a kind of bottom-down change that's facilitated. I'd like to talk about an example, um, a very recent example. In fact, it's happened today. We, um, a little while ago, we asked uh, the organization and a couple of people within the organization to think about social value. It's a thing that government clients in the UK are very interested in and wants us to talk about every time we bid. But it also resonated with us generally. It's what we want to do. It's part of our thing uh, as a culture. We've decided that we want to make an extraordinary impact to our own pe- people, our clients, and the and the wide community. And we thought that that social value is a way of describing what we want to add 
uh, to our communities. So rather than coming up with a project and saying, right, you want, I want you to do this, this and this in, in your local communities, uh, because that's how we do things around here. We said, can you come up with a social value construct in the UK? Can, can you, how does it, how's it going to work in the UK? And I don't know what my expectations were, but we had the presentation this morning and um, I was absolutely blown away with the quality of the thinking. The, it almost brought a tear to my eye, what we're going to do. And that sort of feeling is really, really important and empowering for the whole organisation. It gives a sense of purpose to the organisation as a whole. Gives something you can rally around and just makes you proud to work for them. That's, that's what I felt even in the presentation about what we're going to do. We haven't even done it yet. I felt really great. It's the best meeting I've had this month and probably will be for the next couple of months. And it was from a person who's not a couple of people who aren't particularly senior in the firm, but just thought about it hard and had a really persuasive and compelling argument as to why we ought to reach out into local uh, higher education and schools to underprivileged people to talk about what we do and try and uh, create an intern program allows them to think about uh, our sort of career and how that might impact their lives. And um, I, I thought it was a win-win. I think there's going to be some people in there who we can actually employ in the future. Uh, but never mind that, even if they don't end up working for us, they'll end up working for somebody else. They'll be on a journey that'll actually make the world a better place. There's, a, there's hope that they'll do something really useful with their lives that they might not have had a chance to do without that intervention. And the way it was structured and the way it was organised. So, for example, we are working in, a, in, a, in an island off, uh, off the UK one of our clients and we're going to be doing that in that on that island so we can actually say to the island uh, concern you know in your local community this is what we're giving back whilst we're here and when we go to another client somewhere else part of the pitch early in our pitch to them to persuade them that we're, we'd be good to do this piece of work is we're doing this anyway we this is what we're going to do in your community and I just think that's a really great thing it makes me feel proud and that's an important part of um our offer which we didn't come up with the detail of you know that in, it's kind of leadership by suggestion and a, a motivating part of our offer is now something that's been generated through the process of suggestion rather than mandate which i love yeah i absolutely love that and can't wait to see what the team came up with there uh, sounds like i'm due for a good ted lasso style cry as well of a happy cry over a uh sentimental and, and meaningful moment there. Uh, but it's also, you know, Chris, just it's such an important part of the credit culture, the the give back and the want to make an impact above and beyond what we have to do each day. And and often that's in the form of helping our clients with with projects and important work that we do with them and and helping our colleagues, uh, both, you know, professionally and personally helping them when they're in a time of need and digging in on those things. But I absolutely love it when we can make the community impact and where we live and where we work and and in other parts of the world that need it. I think that's just a, it's a really cool thing we get to do. And, and those are the moments where, uh, like we had a, uh, in the U S we had a service day last summer where the whole company took a day and went and served in our local communities. And it was my favorite day of the year. I mean, it was, it was just so fun and, and it was fun to work with other Cordero people, but work in a very different context than we typically do. You know, this was in food banks and, and places where in, for people who, who need a lot more help than the rest of us need right now. Uh, to be able to pitch in and do that. But even in those moments to see 
the efficiency and energy of the Cordero people was really incredible. I mean, we packed those boxes faster than anybody else can pack those boxes. I promise you that. That's great. That's the uh, com competitive angle as well, isn't it? Coming up. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I've got a question for you, JB. How, how do you think we do leadership in a virtual world? How, how much harder is it in a virtual world like the one we've been in for the last couple of years? Is it, is it possible still to, to be a good lead, leader in a virtual world? And what's your style on that one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think, I think the, um, if, if we take the virtual world, but even I'll zoom that even a little bit further out and just say what's been going on in the world the last two to three to four years, if you think about in England with Brexit and in the U.S. with the, the political divide and with the uh, pandemic and vaccines or not vaccines and all the different um, you know, information and misinformation that's available to us in the traditional media and social media, I think now more than ever, people need good leaders within their companies and within their firms who uh, not necessarily to give them the answers to all those questions, but just to be a steady and trustworthy voice of someone who can be followed and who people can believe in and who uh, you, you can trust to kind of steward you through these times. And I, I think, you know, if we, if we go back to uh, spring of 2020, uh, when we all sort of went virtual or work from home almost overnight, I think, you know, in those first, especially six or eight weeks following that, it was incredibly important that uh, we as leaders communicate frequently, like more than you think you need to communicate on what's going on, what we know, what we don't yet know, what we're planning to do, what we'll do if this happens, what we'll do if that happens, and and do so in an extremely uh, transparent way. And, and, you know, I think for, for us and for me personally, it was actually a bit of a a, a positive thing from a, um, you know, by going virtual overnight, it gave me the opportunity to at least once a week, talk to the whole company. And I, I wasn't able to really do that in an easy way, uh, pre pandemic, pre going virtual where I would, you know, I'd travel around to different cities and see people on some regularity, but this was, I could get right into everybody's living room or everybody's home office, uh, at least once a week. And, um, hopefully provide a, a consistent kind of voice and, and one that's not too high or too low, but just more fact-based of here's what we know, here's what we're doing, here's what's going well, here's what's not going well. Um, and, that, and then I think as we got out of what I'll call that initial uh, kind of crisis management mode to more like, okay, this is kind of new normal now that we're going to operate in for who knows how long. And, and we, we certainly, I didn't expect it to be as long as it has been, but then it became more about how do you make sure as a leader that the people on your team are doing okay, both doing okay from a health standpoint and a mental health standpoint, um, but also that they're being engaged because employee engagement, team engagement has fundamentally changed during the last two years, you know, from uh, we used to all sit around a, a conference room table or a boardroom table and get on the whiteboard together and go get coffee or tea together and go get lunch together and go get drinks after work to now for many months, most of us didn't see many other people and, and certainly not a lot of our, our colleagues from work. And so I think as a leader, it just required more intentionality and different tactics, you know, different ways to drop in and check in with people. Um, but I think the, the key principles are still the same as what we talked about in the beginning. Like people have to know you genuinely care about them. And if you can figure out ways to do that, uh, whether it's a, a quick phone call or a pop-in on Teams or whatever other collaboration platform you use, 
uh, you still have to figure out those ways to engage and to connect and to help people. And now we're, we're kind of at the stage where uh, in most of our markets, at least around the world, we're able to begin to start getting back together again in person. And so we're really taking that seriously, where we we believe that while um, the flexibility of being able to work from home is going to be an incredible and lasting value for us, uh, that, that we can't lose sight of the fact that uh, people need people connection too, and they need to be in person from time to time. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, nine to five butts in seats Monday through Friday, kind of a model of the past, but it does mean for the right moments that you show up and you're there for each other and you have fun and you celebrate and you memorialize certain things. Um, and so we're super excited about, about this next piece of this journey, you know, where we're able to, to do some of both and get the benefits of both sides of, of working remotely, but also as leaders, we've got a great opportunity now to really re-engage and to get people back together and to uh, make sure that we're staying super connected. Chris, what are your thoughts on leadership in virtual and leadership kind of as we emerge now? Yeah, I couldn't agree more that um, we're moving to a hybrid world and and you can't lead in the same way in a virtual world, but all the same principles apply. And so, you know, in the UK, we spent a lot of time, uh, you know, talking to the whole firm is exactly as you said, but we also made sure that we had a number of personal calls that leaders you know, showed they care by actually calling you specifically and saying, how are things, how's stuff going? Because it wasn't going that great for some people, you know, there were there were people affected uh, in our firm, uh, people who'd lost family members due to COVID, who had their kids not able to go to school. There's a lot of pressure. They're trying to work and manage three children running around the house. This these are really hard times, and we as leaders had to understand that and not just go, you know, where's my productivity? What you know, we we had to flex the model. And be understanding and first and foremost, understand them as humans, never mind work for a minute, what's going on. Um, I think that was really important. Um, amazingly, we we got through it and and we blossomed, both sides of the Atlantic. You know, we hired people we'd never met before. We won new work from clients we'd never met before. I predicted that would never happen. I'm proud to say I'm wrong, that we we won new work from people I'd never even seen at least not in person. And we've always thought that our business is a relationship business. And yet I know, I still know that virtual relationships aren't the same as person to person relationships, but we managed to, uh, to, do, to do what we did and grow the way we did um, in, in an extraordinary way. What I would say is now that hopefully, touch wood, we can meet people again that it's important that we don't think that, okay, we've done away with that. That's not needed anymore. I think we need to go back, as you said, to a, a combined model with both our clients and our people and, and reconnect because you don't get everything. It is imperfect. We, we did extraordinarily well, but it's an imperfect process. And when we met recently, uh, the American partners, we went over to see, uh, to, to see JB and the partners over there in the States last week. I met people for the first time, even though I'd not met, I'd met them in, in teams and I kind of thought I knew them and I didn't, I hadn't developed a relationship with them. It was apparent when I met them that I didn't really know who they were. And the difference is palpable. And that experience is important because that's the connection that really does embed your relationship between the leadership of the firm and the, and the people who are in the firm. That's right. And I think, you know, just to, just to add on to that point, 
of the the impact of the relationships and connections made at the at the event Chris was talking about from last week. You know, I think that's what that shows up in is real human trust, which then as we get back in two-dimensional mode working across the Atlantic a lot of the time, we're now able to operate at speed, operate with high trust, have more empathy, uh, but also just know, okay, I have a great person. I can pick up the phone or, or reach out via Teams and make that connection. And I'm going to have somebody really good on the other end of the line when I do that. And that, that trust, both in terms of human trust and the capability that you're getting on the other side, uh, I, I think we'll, we'll, six months from now, six years from now, we'll still be pointing to dividends from that trust that was you know, first established last week and will continue to be built upon. That's great. One, uh, one just additional point that I wanted to make on um, the topic of leadership as we're, as we're kind of going through and unpacking different aspects of that is something that's been on my mind a lot recently is, is just as you think about an emerging leader, one of the things that I've personally experienced is um, the, the stakes of your words and the stakes of your actions do get larger as you emerge into greater and greater leadership roles and responsibilities. And so the, the, it's not surprising, I suppose, but the takeaway from that is I think sometimes the, the impact of like a single word you use or the way you showed up in a hallway conversation or a 20-minute meeting with someone are often outsized. And so if I, if I were to give some, some advice or some coaching to other emerging leaders, you know, I would say like, be aware of that fact. Don't be scared of it. You know, that, that doesn't leave you meaning I can't open my mouth because I might say the wrong word, but it does mean realize that for the individual or the team or the person that you're meeting with in that moment, that might be a pretty big deal moment. And I, I say that with all, all humility, you know, I don't think of myself as a big deal, but it may be a big deal to that person in that moment. And so one of the things I've tried to do is before every interaction, just really think about how do I want the other person or that team to feel after we're done with our meeting? And then secondarily, is there anything in particular I need to communicate that I want them to take away from it? But start with how do I want them to feel? Because if I show up to that meeting that for me is maybe meeting 10 of the day or whatever, and I'm not in a good mood and I'm moving fast and I'm transactional, I'm going to leave them feeling like they were a transaction, not a person. And they're certainly not going to feel, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot at Credera about what we're building is a global boutique. And a boutique means not how big something is, but how it feels. You know, if you think about how it feels to be the client of a boutique, then you, you feel like you're one of our only clients or our most important client. And if you, if you would think about how it feels to work at a boutique, um, it feels like you are known, you are important, and you can see the impact you make on that business every day. And so that's the experience we want both our clients and our people to have. And so much of that happens in those little moments when you show up and the intentionality and the care and how you make it a good experience, not a bad experience. And it doesn't mean that you can't ever deliver critical feedback. That's not creating a bad experience if done properly, but you can ruin somebody's day and turn somebody off if you do those things improperly or if you just show that like they're not actually all that important to you they're just a they're just a step in your process basically is not the way anybody wants to feel so chris don't know if you have anything you'd like to add on that particular thread yeah i, I would i think it's a really important thing i think about this quite a lot it is hard isn't it one spends all day one is sometimes tired one is in a you know not the best mood every now and again and yet we we want to have integrity and we want to be honest and transparent and all this kind of thing. 
Um, one thing I would say here is that um, I think imagine a world in which um, you're held up to the standards that you that you profess are important. So if you say back to this thing about being guardian of the culture, which is often a, a, a phrase uh, linked with leaders, if the culture we're saying is open, transparent, positive, energetic, well, as the leader, you have to exude those those values, that behaviour type, and you're held up as the example of that behaviour type. So if the only interaction you had in three months with your leader is one where that isn't the behaviour type, you're not practising what you preach. And that's that's a really big thing. Well, and the, the good thing about that is I've, I've personally found if I'm trying to hold myself to that standard, it will often help me get in a better mood and get to a better, more positive spot. If you know, and you can't like, it's, it's not about going through your day and faking these things. I mean, sometimes it's being very practical of if I know I've had a rough day and, but I need to show up well in my next meeting, I may need to book a little time in between to take a walk or something and just give myself a little reset because we're all human. We all have real emotion and real energy that's up and down and different things. It's just really being aware of the impacts that our actions and our words and our energy have on other people and then being intentional about that so that you manage it best you can. Uh, awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, I'm afraid we are out of time. Um, easiest hosting role I've ever had. As ever, some really interesting, absolutely thought-provoking conversation in there. Uh, and if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with our speakers today, please do reach out to us via our website's uh, Contact Us page, which is credera.co.uk or credera.com. Um, a huge thank you to you, Justin and Chris, for making the time to share your views and experiences with our listeners today. And finally, uh, a huge thank you to our listeners for joining and listening to the conversation.